Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you to our service. If you're visiting with us, hope that you'll connect and feel welcome today. A couple things I want to mention. We're trying to cut back on announcements, so we give out the current, but from time to time, I want to just highlight a couple things. One of the things I want to mention this morning is that the women's retreat is coming up on Saturday, March 17th. It's just an in-house retreat that'll be here. But one of the things the Bible says is that the truth will set you free. And there are so many lies that the world is telling us that cause us to have untold problems that we don't need as we come to Scripture and we come to a time where we go, oh yeah, that's not the way the, the Lord wants me to think. So a man may work from sun to sun, mother's work's never done. This is an opportunity for our ladies to come apart, whether you're married or single, a mom or not. But let me just mention some of the workshops. Maybe you'll connect with some of these. There's never enough time to do everything I'm supposed to do, or I'm not good enough, or my body, my way. Some of you, you know, are struggling with that. I'll never be able to heal from my past, or lies my father never told me, or God doesn't give you more than you can handle, or my words don't have the power to change my life, or, well, is it best if I just avoid conflict, or I take my kids to church, isn't that enough? Or how about this one? My identity as a mom is found in how I think I measure up to others. Or my job's to protect my kids, right? So the sign-up sheet's in the back. We really want to get some sense. And I want to encourage you, if you have a friend, um, be sure to invite somebody. But just as you go out on the left, there'll be a sign-up sheet. Love to see many of you come and get blessed at that. If you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers will be glad to give you one. Please feel free to take this and start to read it. We believe the Bible is the word of God, so when we come together, we're here to hear a word from the Lord. And we're starting a series on the book of Numbers. If you weren't here last week, certainly want to encourage you to um, go back and listen to that so you can kind of get a setting for where we're going. But we said the theme of Numbers is war and worship in the book of Numbers. And we suggested that the main thing God is teaching us is that in this story, true story, they're wandering in the wilderness, and they're engaging in war and worship for 40 years. And we suggested that the Bible teaches that that's a real parallel to our Christian life, that the wilderness is this world in which we live. Now, I want to remind you that to come into the wilderness, they had a, a, a redemption out of bondage. Remember, they were in Egypt, and Egypt would be symbolic of still being an unbeliever. You're in the bondage of not knowing why you're here. You're either wallowing in your sins or you don't care about God or you're a religious sinner, but you have not yet been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But when you become a Christian, you are redeemed out of bondage and you begin your journey that doesn't end until we enter the promised land of heaven. But during that time, God teaches us and organizes us into church communities and we learn that we're in a spiritual war, that there's a real devil that we fight against, principalities and powers, and we have to learn how as a community to be organized and to fight spiritual warfare. And so as we started the book of Numbers, I, I mentioned that the, the book of Numbers begins at Mount Sinai with God mobilizing his people. So the first 10 chapters are getting the people orderly and organized for war and worship cleansing out certain things, making offerings, being ready to move. And this period only lasts for about 20 days, but it's a really important section 
Now, last week, I encouraged you to read chapters 1 through 4. And those of you who were able to stay awake as you read it, realized that it had a lengthy list of genealogies. But if you were paying attention, you noticed that the first two chapters were a census and then an arrangement of the tribes for war. So God gathered them by their tribes, right, by their families, by their clans, and he had them take a census, and he came up to 603,000 men. And then we'll talk about the women and children. But it kept saying this phrase, those 20 and up able to go to war. So in that first section, he, chapter 1, he takes a census. In chapter 2, then he says, now listen, we have over a million people here, so we're going to organize into an arranged camp because we're going to be moving. And this is not a free-for-all. This isn't just a, a pre-game tailgate party. Like, we have to be very structured here. The Bible says God does things decently and in order. But then chapters 3 and 4 are another census. But this time it's not a census of the tribes. It's a census of the Levites because they were going to be the leaders in worship. And what we're learning as Christians is that worship is not just coming to church and singing a couple of songs. That worship is both a lifestyle. It's a practice that God has not said, hey, let's have a designer challenge. You come up with ideas and we worship our way. God has very specific and clear directions for how he wants to worship him. Jesus said God seeks after worshipers, but we must worship him in truth according to scripture. So let's begin in chapter one. We're going to look at this census. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first of the second month in the second year after they'd come out of the land of Egypt, saying, take a census of all the congregation of the sons of Israel by their families, by their father's household, according to the number of names, every male, head by head. Some of you, there seems to be a resurgence of this, right? Now we spit in the little vial and we mail it off and they tell us, hey, you're Native American and you're Scottish. And oh, I always thought, and I, I wonder if they just have a roulette wheel. They go, ah, just tell them they're Native American. So, but the point is, the, the Israelites had very careful genealogies and, and it was important. And I think one of the things that I want you to think about here is that God cares about people and individuals and family. And for some of you, as you, as you look back in your family history, there's a lot of unhappy memories. Some of you don't even know your parents. Some of you are, are, are estranged from your sisters or your siblings or your loved ones. That, and there's a lot in your genealogy of which you're like, wow, you know, that's part of the things I struggle with is my whole family history. And one of the beauties of Christianity is that the gospel brings healing to that. Christ enables you to forgive family members that hurt you. Christ enables us to learn to reconcile with those who, who, who may not be on the same page as us. Christ enables us to realize that even if I don't have any earthly family, I have my Christian family, and these are my peeps for eternity. These are my brothers and sisters who will lay down their lives for me. But notice it says, whoever is able to go out to war. And every time God goes through these 12 tribes, he always adds that phrase, whoever is able to go out to war. So this wasn't just a, a stroll through the wilderness. They were going to have to fight their way into the promised land. And that's a reminder to us that we're in a battle. Like it or not, we have to learn how to do spiritual warfare. So Moses and Aaron took these men who had been designated by name. So notice I skipped some verses. And they assembled all the congregation together on the first of the second month. 
and they registered by ancestry in their families, by their father's household, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, head by head. Now, as you go through the 12 tribes and the thousands in each tribe, and I'm going to put some pictures up here in, in just a moment to kind of give you some visualization of this. When it comes to the end, it says, so all the numbered men of the sons of Israel by their father's household from 20 years old and upward was 603,000. Now, think about that. That's just the men 20 years old and up. What about the children? What about the women? So we're talking about a massive throng of people, well over a million people. I mean, you're going to watch, probably some of you are going to watch a football game this afternoon. It might be 60, 70, 80,000 people watching that. That's nothing. Imagine just trying to get them organized. But well over a million people in the wilderness. The Bible tells us God does things decently and in order. So one of the things he's going to do is he's going to say, now, by the way, out of these 12 tribes, there's one tribe I don't want you to number yet. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, the tribe of Levi you shall not number. Don't take their census, because they're going to be distinct. The Levites, he says, you will appoint over the tabernacle of the testimony and over its furnishings and all that belongs to it. So in other words, they're going to help coordinate worship. We're all going to be in a war, but some of the Levites are going to take care of the worship around the tabernacle. But remember now, there wasn't just one campground they were going to move they were going to travel through the wilderness and so there were times that they would have to pack everything up you think it's hard to get your kids to church imagine packing everything up and moving and sometimes god would say we're only going to stay here a day other times they might stay for a few weeks so he notes when the tabernacle is to set out the levites take it down and when the tabernacle encamps the levites set it up now, this phrase is going to keep showing up in this chapter. It's kind of curious. But the layman who comes near shall be put to death. You're like, what? And God's beginning to introduce to us his holiness. And that you don't just barge into the man upstairs. That, that just coming to God our way in our sin without the blood of Christ is not going to work. So the sons of Israel shall camp, each man by his own camp, each man by his own standard. Now remember, the standard back then was that pole that they raised up, right? And, and they would be able to see that in this long line of people when they were moving according to their armies. Now, the Levites camped around the tabernacle. So as God selected the tribes, he was going to begin to show them, here's where I want you to camp. Here's where I want you to camp. But notice he says... The Levites camp around the tabernacle. So there's tents in the middle, and God says, keep the Levites around it so that there would be no wrath on the congregation of the sons of Israel. One of the things that we're introduced to when you read the Bible, instead of making up God in your own mind, is that God is not just a God of love. He is love. He loves people, but he's also holy. He's separate. He's unique. And he created us to worship and obey and serve him. And he hates sin. It deeply offends him. His very nature, it kindles within him a reaction of anger. Now, here's the thing. God's not this angry, capricious being. He doesn't hate people, but he hates sin. And the Bible speaks of the wrath of God. And one day when people die, if their sins have not been forgiven, his justice demands that their wrath, his wrath is poured out on them. That's the penalty of sin. 
And so God doesn't delight. He does not want to pour out his wrath. He wants you to receive a pardon so you don't have to experience his wrath. But I want to tell you something. You might not know this, but the Bible says this. Jesus said this. He that believes in Christ is not condemned. He has everlasting life. But he that does not believe in Christ, the wrath of God abides upon him. Remember pig pen in peanuts? It was a cloud over his head. You may not know this, but the Bible says that God's wrath is over you. And unless that wrath is removed, you're going to experience it. And the way it's removed is because when Jesus came to the earth, he bore the wrath of God. He was punished on that cross and he absorbed God's wrath so that you could be forgiven. But as we're reading, even through passages like this, we're reminded of God's wrath and our need for forgiveness. Well, as we come to chapter two, now God says, listen, I'm not gonna just say spread out and pick a campsite. I want you to organize the 12 tribes. We're gonna count them and then I'm going to tell you where to position them. So the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, the sons of Israel shall camp each by his own standard. And notice that they even had banners by their father's household. You're like, yeah, man, we have our, our Scottish coat of arms. You know, most of us are kind of mutts. We don't know probably all of our lineage. But notice it says they shall camp around the tent of meeting at a distance. We don't know what that distance is, but in the book of Joshua, God told them to stay half a mile away from the tabernacle or from the, the Holy of Holies. So they're not just like all snuggled up right against the tabernacle. Now those who camp on the east side towards the sunrise shall be of the standard of the camp of Judah. And so God introduces now the, the, each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Judah was the largest tribe. Their young, numbered men had 74,600. Now, as I put up this slide, I want you to envision that God had careful imagery in mind here, that each, each individual thing had a purpose here. So, as they, as they gather around, we try to, you know, visualize, and again, these are just sketches to try to get some idea. But on this particular map, the east side would be down at the bottom here. Notice the arrangement of the tabernacle. So the east gate where you would enter, Judah was facing directly towards the eastern gate. And then notice how the tribes, and again, this is just a suggestion, how the 12 tribes and their thousands are gathered around the tabernacle. Now, again, that particular slide, the thing that that lacks is, that probably is only... 500 tents, right? We're talking about a million people. So this would only be sort of a, a sketch of maybe what it looked like close up. But, but step back a little bit, and it has been suggested by commentaries that the square footage this would take for this many people is 12 square miles. 12 square miles. And there's probably an an illustration of, see the Levites encamped around the center tabernacle and then the tribes. And again, the trumpet blows and God says it's time to move. Okay, so it kind of gives you like, wow, organizing all those people. Now, if you're paying attention, you're like, hey, who's Waldo there in the corner? Okay, now 
this is just a su suggestion, but this made me think about something. Later in the story, as they're traveling, remember the prophet Balaam. You're going to read about it. Some of you are reading ahead. The prophet Balaam is asked to curse the Israelites. And so he travels some distance to come, and he looks out over a cliff, and he sees this massive swell of 12 square miles of orderly, organized tents with a pillar of fire in the middle. This is what Balaam said in Numbers 24 as he saw it. How fair are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens beside the river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the water. Just the orderliness of the people of God and the presence of God impressed him. Here's another idea to kind of go, now wait a minute, let's not picture that this was luxurious grass and palm trees everywhere. I want you to imagine these folks had no idea how they were going to get food or water every day. And yet every day the Bible says God gave them manna from heaven. A dew came down on the ground and they could go out and they could gather that manna. And they were never to stockpile it, only enough for the day. You think, they, you think they were wondering how they were going to feed their kids? Do you think that Jesus might be reminding us, hey, listen, consider the lilies. They don't work, but God takes care of them. And I get it. We're in a different time, and many of you are in a different economic situation. But the principle still remains the same. Seek first the kingdom of God, and these things will be added to you. God's going to take care of his own. God's going to provide for us. Sometimes in very miraculous ways. But this should remind us that there are Christians all over the world, particularly in Syria and Lebanon, who really don't know where their next meal is going to come from. But they're learning that God does indeed give to his children their daily bread. Now, I wanted you to look at this one because it was just a reminder that the presence of God was very real to them. They were able to visualize the presence of God. It doesn't say this in the Bible, but one of the commentaries suggested that all of the camps faced the tabernacle. So the first thing that would happen in the morning when you rose up is you would be looking towards, in the day there was a cloud, remember? And in the evening there was a pillar of fire. And so as we sing in Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah, lead me all the, 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 the journey through. Let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me. And so... You know, I was thinking about this as you go to sleep at night. You know, I have thin eyelids, so I'm not real big on having lights. I like it real dark. But I think somehow the glow of that fire would be a reminder for all of us that the Lord is with us, that the Lord is in our midst, that the Lord will fight for us, that God is the center of our lives. And remember that the movement of that pillar was their direction of when it was time to pack up and move. And I can imagine there were times where people were just getting comfortable. The kids were finally settled down. We've been a few days. We're in our routine. They get it, and God begins to move. And there's a good reminder for us as Christians is that God doesn't want us to drive our tent pegs real deep in this world. He may ask us to move. He may lead us to different ministries. And the goal here isn't to stockpile and to have all of these wonderful possessions and vacations, 
but rather to realize that we've given ourselves to Christ and now we're following the Lord's leading and we're serving him and we're worshiping him. And sometimes he's going to put us in situations where they're not ideal. They're not what we would want. They're not what we would have picked for our lives. But notice that when they set out, the tent of meeting shall set out with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps. Just as they camp, so they shall set out. Every man in his place by their standards. But in order to organize them, even in their travel, God didn't say, get your stuff. But rather, he gave a marching order. He said, I want the ark to go first. And then Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, their tribes to follow second. And then the material of the tabernacle follows third. And so as you're reading through this chapter, don't just go, oh my word, this is just so weird and so boring. Kind of visualize that they, they need to be able to fight, they need to be able to travel, they need to be able to worship. And so each of these tribes knew their role. They did, they, they, I'm sure there was a tendency to say, why do we have to be last? Or I don't want to be first, or I don't want to move. But we're going to just kind of think through that. Okay, God says, look, I've ordered the, 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 the tribes for war, Right? But now, in chapters 3 and 4, he's going to loop around and he's going to do it again. But this time, in 3 and 4, he's going to take a census and he's going to order the Levites for worship. Now, some of you went ahead and read 1 through 4 and you're like, please explain that because if I have to do that again, uh, I hope it, well, it's not going to stay like that. So next week, we're going to look at chapters 5 and 6 because remember, the whole first nine chapters are just getting them ready. There's some very unusual things in 5 and 6 about how God's purifying them. The Nazarite vows, the removal of lepers, the test for adultery. But let's talk about the census and ordering of the Levites. God says, now these are the records of the generations of Aaron and Moses. At the time when the Lord spoke with Moses. These are the names of the sons of Aaron. Remember, God selected Aaron to be the high priest. Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And you're like, ah, cool, he had four kids. Well, for a while he had four kids, but he lost two of them. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priest whom he ordained to serve as priest. But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Now, you can read about that in the book of Exodus. We don't know for sure what happened, but when God told that story, immediately after that happened, he said, instruct the priests not to drink any strong drink. So, so it makes me wonder if Nadab and Abihu, who had this privileged position of offering sacrifices God's way, had a few too many drinks and decided they were going to offer God worship in their own way. And God called it strange fire. And it offended his holiness. And he struck them. And it's just a reminder to all of us. Be careful. People do things under the influence that have lasting consequences. And so God is reminding us to fear the Lord. And to put him first in our lives. And to realize that he's not just the man upstairs who's like, kids, do whatever you want. So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests in the lifetime of their father Aaron. And I'm sure that this was hard for Aaron as, as, as he grieved over the loss of two sons. But he also probably took such joy in instructing and teaching 
and seeing his two other sons doing ministry alongside of him. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest that they may serve him. They shall perform the duties for him and for the whole congregation before the tent of meeting to do the service of tabernacle. I wonder how the Levites felt about this. So wait a minute. All the other tribes get property and get a place and get numbered, but not us. We carry furniture. We have to pack up whenever we're moving. And I want you to consider that the Bible in the grand scheme of things teaches that being a Levite was a privilege that this was a unique opportunity to be closer to God than the rest of the people. And that even though they had no lot of inheritance in the land, David thought about that. He said, you know, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. The Lord is my inheritance. So I think those whose hearts were right in faith with the Lord considered this a privilege to be involved in full-time work for the Lord. We're all doing the Lord's work, but the Levites were set apart to lead the people in worship. And so these guys were busy, right? The Levites surrounded the tabernacle and, and they were in charge of the daily sacrifices. They were in charge of packing up and moving things. And if you've never been out to Lancaster, I mentioned there's a life-size re reproduction of this, a wonderful place to go, take your kids. But I want to just give you an analogy of kind of the things that they did. So you see the man kneeling down with a lamb there. Well, remember... In the Old Testament, God was teaching them that there were sacrifices. Sacrifices were required for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sins. And so, so they had peace offerings, burn offerings, sin offerings. But one of the offerings was a man could come and he would lay his hand on a spotless lamb and he would confess his sins and symbolically transfer his sins over to the lamb. And then the lamb would... Would, would have its throat slit and it would shed its blood and die. And we're offended by that. We're like, wow, that's, that's, that's harsh. And God's going, yeah, it is harsh. Sin is awful. But ultimately, as we read the Old Testament, we're reminded that these are the things that are always pointing us to Christ. This is why John the Baptist said about Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That spotless Lamb, Jesus, shed his blood on the cross so that we might be forgiven. But you need to have a personal encounter with Christ. You need to have a personal decision to realize that, hey, I'm a sinner, a religious or an irreligious sinner, and I want to believe today that, that the Bible is true and Jesus is risen and my sins were placed on him on the cross, and I may have been told that I have to go to purgatory, or that I have to do penance, or I have to make my confession. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there's full and free forgiveness through the finished work of Christ. Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus paid it all. And as you come under the refuge of Christ alone, he's the one that will pardon all your sins. But it's also worth remembering that in that day, there were only select people who were priests. And I want you to consider their work. This probably isn't all that accurate because probably half of them had blood all over them, sweaty, dirty, gathering ashes, starting fires. But let's remember this, that the Bible tells us as Christians that we're priests, that every believer is a worshiping priest. And that's a really cool thing to think about. 
Because as believer priests, our worship is not just supposed to be on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is a corporate overflow of our daily worship. And so think of yourself as a Christian, as a priest. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, we as priests are offering spiritual sacrifices to God. Notice we sang about our incense rising to God. When you pray for others and you offer praise to God, that's a sweet incense. That's an offering as a priest. When you give to the Lord, the Bible says in Philippians 4, when Paul received a gift to the Lord's work, he said, I've received your gift. It's a fragrant aroma to God. Every time you help a brother out, you do good. You share with somebody else. The Bible says, let us do good and share what we have. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And you ready for this? When you witness for Christ, you're doing a believer priest work. Hebrews 13 says, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips that confess his name. And so kind of reorient yourself to get, hey, I'm a worshiper and my God is holy. And so rather than thinking of worship as when I sing my songs, that's just a small part of worship. Each day you and I can put on our spiritual priestly role and say, listen, the Bible says because of the mercies of Christ, I can present my body to him as a living sacrifice. And that's my spiritual service of worship. And I want to encourage you to orient yourself. I'm in the wilderness and every day, I can rise up as I come out of my tent. I look to Christ. I present myself to him and say, Jesus, I want to live for you today. And I'm going to start out with my worship. I'm just going to bless your name. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. You say, but pastor, you don't understand. My life stinks right now. I have so many problems. Actually, that's what makes us unique. Anybody can praise the Lord when things are going good. But the Bible teaches that Christians, we give thanks in all circumstances. We learn to bless the Lord at all times. And we look for others as you look for a spouse. Did you read Psalm 37 or Psalm 34? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Find somebody else who wants to love and serve the Lord Jesus and worship him with you. And some of you are going, promise, pastor, it's too late. My ball and chain doesn't want to do that. You're not responsible for how they act, just how you react. You model to them what it means to be a humble worshiper of Christ. So God gives the, the Levites work. He says, keep all the furnishings of the tent of meeting. These are their duties. Give to them because they're wholly given to me from among the sons of Israel. And appoint Aaron his sons that they may keep the priesthood. Ready for this? But the layman who comes near shall be put to death. Again, don't mess with God. He's gracious but we, we, we want to come his way. But then God set apart the Israelites and said, listen, you owe me something. When I killed the, the firstborn of the Egyptians, I spared your firstborn. So all your firstborn are mine. Just out of curiosity, how many of you are the firstborn male in your family? Raise your hand. There was quite a few in the first service. Awesome. I was the last, but not the baby. Because my parents had a philosophy. You just keep doing things till you get it right. Okay, so. <laughs> pardon me. So God then allowed them to redeem their sons 
their firstborn in place of, or the Levites in place of the firstborn. And it's a reminder to us that we in a special way, each of us who have been bought by the blood of Christ, are his redeemed children out of this fallen world. And that ultimately, Jesus is the firstborn. Romans chapter 8 says, one day God will surround his throne with a group of people who are conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's what we're gathered, to become like Christ, to worship Christ, and to serve Christ. So for the sake of time, I want to I just remind you that God told them, okay, now when we move, here's what it's going to look like. You're going to cover the, the tabernacle, and we're going we're to move forward. And so at any day, they could hear the horn. The cloud would move. And they packed it up very carefully, and the people went back to their tents. And I'm sure the kids didn't yell, can we move again? Or, hey, do you kids want to move, or do you want to stay here? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the priests would gather up the, the holy things, and they would move, and God's Spirit would lead them. And so as we close this morning, I want us to just think about a, a couple things as, as, we, as we wind this down. Our journeys in the wilderness... We as Christians are called to advance the gospel. That's our warfare. We're called to make disciples. And I want to remind you of a couple of things. This church is multiplying. But even back then, when people multiplied, they had to learn how to divide, right? And so I, I, I really want to plead with you, if you're not connected with anybody here, get involved in some small way. Go online. We have men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, Small groups, care groups, grief groups. There's so many opportunities, but, but you need to be in a smaller community. You can't just come among the masses and just get lost and go, I just prefer to be in anonymity. But realize that in addition to that, that it matters that you have a part. The Bible says that God has placed each one of us in the body just as he willed. He's given each one of us gifts. And if you have not yet gotten involved in serving the Lord, that's something that he invites you as a forgiven sinner to begin to discover that there's something you can do. And so if you only attend and you're not at that place yet where you're serving, where you're doing things for Christ, God has prepared for you good works and we want to help you to find them. I want to thank so many of you who... who generously sacrifice and serve and give. Many of our small group leaders continue to do that. You're shepherding. You're helping. We're all ministers doing the work of ministry. I want to remind you as well that our family is our worshiping community. So dads, let me just throw that out there. That ultimately your family, your wife, your kids, you're the spiritual leader there. And God's going to help you as difficult as it is to take spiritual leadership. And if you don't have a personal family, or you can't have children, or you're not yet married. Get involved, get connected, be part of God's community. And realize that God leads us both personally and corporately. So as we make decisions and move forward as a church, sometimes you may not agree with that, and we respect that. But we want to encourage you to ask questions, talk to us, and, and, and trust that God's Spirit is in our midst. But on an individual level, be open to God's Spirit leading you. The Bible says a multitude of counselors, there's safety. Maybe God's laying on your heart a ministry, or he's calling you to make some changes, or you have an idea, or you want to get involved in some way. Let the Spirit of the Lord lead you. But ultimately, I want to close with this. 
as often as Bible scholars have tried to get a picture of what this camp looked like, many of them actually believe it looked like this. Now, we don't know that for sure, but there's a real possibility that the way that they moved out northeast and south was like a cross. And I don't think they knew it, but isn't it possible that God, as he always does, always points us to Christ? So the biggest takeaway for me from this passage is to remember this, that God needs to be the center of your life. Christ, every day, needs to be the place that I orient myself. I'm living for Christ. I'm forgiven by Christ. I'm following Christ. And sin disrupts our worship and our warfare. When we half-heartedly follow Christ, when we fall into sin, when we just take our Christianity as though it's just one more thing, we're losing our way, and we're not just hurting ourselves; We're hurting the community. So be in prayer as we move forward. Pray for us as leaders. I'm not up here going, hey, when I used to struggle with sin, we all are being led by the Spirit of God, and I believe God's using this church and I believe that he has a lot for us to do. But we're in warfare. We need constant prayer. We need constant encouragement. We need watchfulness. And we need to realize that each one of us has a calling in this church. So if you have not yet come to Christ, please come to him. Maybe you're religious. And you go, I think I'm a good enough person. Don't insult God and tell him you're a good enough person. Because if you tell him you're a good enough person, then you just said, Jesus didn't need to die for me. You're not a good enough person, or Christ wouldn't have died for you. And some of you are an irreligious sinner. You're like, I really cared about God, and frankly, I don't know if I want to follow him because I like this and this and this. Then wake up. Jesus said, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Nah, what will people think? Well, what are you going to think on judgment day? Are you going to look to your friends and say, what do you think, guys? Come to Jesus. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I won't cast out. Turn from whatever it is that's keeping you from following him and believe and receive from him forgiveness of sins. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to hear that. Don't be a secret servant agent. Oh, I did that. I just don't tell anybody. If you have questions or you need prayer, that's what we're here for. But let's move forward in the power of the Spirit as God's leading us as a church to war and worship. Father, thanks. Your word is good. And I thank you for Riverstone Church. It's a blessing to be part of this community. We have a lot that we're still learning. And as leaders and as followers, we, we all make mistakes. But Father, help us to be sincere before the Lord. As we read, a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. Help us to be individual worshipers, family worshipers, and corporate worshipers. And Lord, as we go forth, may we take captive many who have been led astray by sin. And may you set people free. Even this morning, I pray that some persons will come to have their hearts open and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and experience full and free salvation. Thank you, God. Lead on, O great Jehovah. Lead us to the promised land, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Be sure to read chapters 5 and 6 for next week.